Welcome to Social Creatures, a podcast from Sprout Social. I'm Kat, and I'm here to explore some of my favorite success stories from the world of social media. This is a space for everyone, and really, nearly anything goes. But what makes an account successful or popular? Honestly, it's hard to know, but that's what we're here to find out. Throughout the series, we'll talk with the brains behind the accounts you know and some that you don't to explore the weird and wonderful ways that businesses, organizations, and individuals have achieved success on social media, all with tangible insights that you can apply to your own social strategies. And we'll be heeding the advice of Stacey, our social media agony aunt, who's here to guide you through some of your trickiest digital dilemmas. This week, I'm joined by Chris Welton, Head of Social and Content at the Ambassadors Theatre Group, or ATG. ATG is the driving force behind 32 regional theatres across the UK and many more around the world. It operates venues, running ticketing platforms, and supports producers in putting on some of the best-selling shows that millions of audience members have enjoyed under their expertise and guardianship for over 30 years. ATG are also customers of Sprout. And after catching up with Chris recently, I was fascinated with the work that they do and the multiple, multiple different avenues of work that Chris and his social team are working on. So I'm hoping and looking forward to exploring those areas today. If you would like to follow the valuable work of ATG and perhaps inspire a trip to the theatre, you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook at ATG Tickets or on Instagram via ATG underscore tickets. Chris, welcome to Social Creatures. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted that you're here. I'm so excited to tell everyone or show everyone all of the wonderful work that you've been doing. And so, I mean, right off the bat, 32 UK venues, that is a lot. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how your team is structured, how you liaise with those venues, and maybe the different types of responsibilities that you have. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big old job in a big organization, you know, the biggest arts organization in the UK. And so it is an incredible amount. And we do have a very small team, but a very energetic team who we try and do as much as possible for everyone effectively. But fundamentally, our team is a central office support for our venues. So as much as it might look like from the outside with the big ATG and we kind of manage all these venues and all these channels. All these venues, you know, they weren't always under ATG. We love to give them a certain amount of autonomy, especially when it comes to social media in terms of helping them hire great people, bring out their own kind of creativity and upskill them, giving them toolkits and guidance in terms of, okay, this is a big thing coming up and this is ways you can talk about it or maybe a more reactive piece. The central role can be outrageously busy. There's incredible venues with brilliant people in them. And we're really the facilitators for those venues to do the best possible social media while you know we own the brand ATG like you plugged at the beginning. Thank you very much. And we will obviously dedicate a lot of resources to sharing the news from our venues as well as the news from our producer partners. So our CEO, Mark Cornell, always says it's all about the content. That's basically referring to the shows. You know, if you really strip it down, ATG is a owner of buildings without the producers coming with their shows and recruiting the talent to be in those shows. We wouldn't have a business. So really it's, it's supporting those venues to effectively make the most of those producers. And the social media part of it is us being connected to that producer, but also making sure when the producer talks to a venue saying, 
my show's coming in three days. Is there anything we can do to shift a few more tickets? Or, you know, this has happened. That venue is very ready and very creative and able to support that producer. So, but everything is towards our producer partners and then the venues and giving them that expertise, I guess, and the best practice to be able to do it themselves. And I just feel like stretching that across 32 venues, it must be enormous because selling tickets is one thing, but it's kind of like if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one there to hear it. If it plays on in a theater and no one's there to watch it, you have to sell those tickets. But, you know, theater goers are going to want to be inspired by the content that they're seeing on social to go and actually purchase a ticket. So it's sort of a whole purchase funnel that you're operating, you know, from inspiration, capturing people's interest and imagination and attention right through to that actual purchase, which is interesting. Do you enable the purchase of tickets via social or do you put them through to a further website? No, so we can push them through to ATG tickets. So that website's been developed and finessed over years and years and years, you know, long before me and operates incredibly well. I think obviously a massive part of our job is how can we help shift tickets? And we do that through paid advertising, through Facebook, Meta, obviously, and, and your Twitters and, and LinkedIn's and the likes. I think one of the main things I learned over, you know, the two and a bit years I've been at ATG is actually giving more credence to the fact these venues are kind of really central in these communities. They're not just physically sat there on the high street or slap bang in the middle of a city. They're also the biggest employer of people in the arts in the UK. And all those venues have a massive kind of almost a responsibility. It is entertainment, but it's also culture. It's representing that community through the staff and some of the shows that come in. We use social definitely from the kind of the direct response get people to buy tickets piece, but the venues talking as themselves on social media, finessing their own tone of voice and making sure they're talking like, you know, their community talks and making sure that they are reaching everyone because we don't want it to be, you know, every venue follows an ATG tone of voice. When Glasgow came back after COVID, the greeting was Glaswegian. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try <laughs> and say it, but it was it, that's how they announced their return, you know, and that's perfect because that's hopefully got them to come back and so Social media does a lot of things for us, but I try and emphasize that piece at the awareness phase, but it's kind of dripping more into that engagement piece between um, our venues, people, and then the uh, customers as well. That's so great to hear. And I think that is one of the best parts of when people are successful in social media is when you build that community. And I totally agree as a huge theater fan. I think that supporting your local theater is really, really important and just also a good thing to do. But you did touch on, I feel like, the elephant in the room, which is the pandemic, which must have been, well, it must have been bloody awful for you. And I wonder, how did you cope during that period of time when all of your venues shut down? And how did your role and how did social media play a role in how you handled that pretty dark period? Yeah, it was, you know, you could feel something coming, but I think the actual urgency of when, you know, decisions were made and announcements were made happened so quickly. And I'll always remember on March the 16th, 2020, being sat in an office with basically like a crisis comms team that we had quickly established with people across the business and watching the TV. And Boris had already, you know, started saying, don't do this, don't do that. But he hadn't equivocally said close as a business and insurance and all those things. We couldn't, you know, we had to wait until it was forced effectively. So on that night, I remember he said the word theater in this broadcast on TV. 
And looking around the room, it was obviously like, right, okay, it's happening. Obviously, it was a very dark time, but we had to understand that social media was at that point pretty much our one communications platform out to our customers and our fans. And for us, that initial period was like so many businesses that have reservations or future tickets. Obviously, the main thing for a business is if all those got refunded, there would be no business. All these buildings would close, you know. So there was a, a lot of very smart people in our organization and in Salt, in kind of the wider kind of theater industry, finding the messaging and the structure for encouraging people to use credit or retain credit vouchers or encouraging people to support that local theater. You know, this isn't about so much ATG. It's about your Edinburgh Playhouse, your Princess Theater in Torquay. Retain that ticket because we will be back and it's going to be fantastic. And a lot of shows rescheduled three, four, five times, but you know, most of them eventually did happen. We did retain so many customers were so good in, in retaining their tickets and retaining their credit vouchers that I might not be here chatting to you today if those customers didn't trust us and believe that you know theatre's important and that when it comes back, they want to be part of it. So yeah, it was a bit of a blurry two and a bit years, but a lot of customer care that became a very clear piece that we needed to focus more attention on from a social media perspective. So making sure with no venues in and reduced teams everywhere, you know, if people were asking us questions on social media, which of course they were, that we were had a setup through Sprout and through our FAQs that we created and save replies that we we could give people responses and we could give them assurances and give them updates on their tickets. So yeah, customer care obviously became the name of the game for me for a year or so, sitting in that lovely lockdown sun in my garden, just responding to customers. But we got through it. And I think as an organization, we really grew. And we, I think we became more empathetic to our staff and hopefully our customers and our producer partners. And when we actually came back, you know, incredibly emotional, incredibly powerful scenes across the country. It's genuinely hard to think that we actually just went through all that and came out the other side somehow. And thank God we did because, yeah, I mean, it was definitely awful. And I can, and you did mention customer care and customer service became a lot more, I mean, would you say a lot more important as part of the social strategy? And then also, I mean, I think this was quite universal. Social is, you know, the great leveler, you know, everyone has got a space on social, but it became like the primary communication channel. So that's obviously where you're distributing and broadcasting information and updates, but then also dealing with the inbound. So that's an awful lot of work to have been doing. So I wonder, were you working with other departments in ATG or was this handled all with the social team? Like I said, we were very fortunate that we we got this crisis comms team set up. And so making sure we we're aligned with the ticketing team and our PR team, getting that messaging exactly right. Because it was obviously for the customers, but also, you know, we have producer partners who are scared and worried. They're not putting on shows. They're also not making money. So we had to make sure all those messages were aligned across every team. So there was a very big kind of, I guess, external, internal kind of collaboration in terms of comms. You know, it's not just telling customers, it's people being furloughed for another however much time. So people not having a job. It's obviously devastating if someone has a lot of money reserved in a show that they really, really want to see. But it's also that usher isn't going to work. 
you know, because there is no job. So yeah, it was a lot of cross team, definitely more than the first 30 days I had in my job in the office. I certainly didn't meet all these teams straight off the bat. But when you're kind of the company's reduced and, you know, there's a core team left behind, we got very close and we've talked and managed a lot of things together. So the reduced team really brought us closer to other teams in terms of kind of knowledge gathering and sharing and stuff like that. And then, yeah, the customer care side of things, it had to be better and it did get better. And, and I think any company, you know, I used to work at Expedia and they used to do sessions where you could listen in to, you know, phone calls from customers as kind of training. So you could be from any department and you could come along and listen. And as much as I would love a world where customer care was perfect and there was no, you know, <laughs> yeah. no challenges at all, but there is something really insightful about actually seeing what customers are saying directly to your company, whether it's the venue or directly to ATG or directly to our sister company, Love Theatre, and understand you know, how maybe we are responding, how maybe we aren't responding, or is this a pattern? Is this new? So I still, you know, first thing in the morning, we'll look at our Sprout inbox and kind of get a sense of what's going on across the country, what's going on in ATG land. And I'm not saying it's then like my whole day, but it's something that's certainly maintained off the back of a pandemic where, you know, customer care becomes paramount alongside supporting our producers and our stakeholders. So yeah, that's that's been a piece that's stayed for some positives as well. Now here at Sprite Social, we know that social media is a wild and wonderful beast. It can surprise and delight, but it can also confuse and perplex even the hardiest of social media users. Who better to turn to for help than our social media expert, Stacey Wright, who's here to answer your questions over a cup of tea and some biscuits in the part of the show we like to call Sound Advice. Right. I've got my cup of tea and I've got my letters, which can only mean it's time for us to take a break and cozy down together. This is the part of the podcast where I, your social media agony aunt, Stacey, guide you, our dear listeners, through your trickiest digital dilemmas. Right, let me see what social media conundrums you've sent my way today. Dear Stacey, I'm working for a local county council and we have a small medium agency to help us deliver our social media content strategy. We look after Twitter ourselves, publishing updates and news releases as they happen, but needed extra support for the likes of Facebook and Instagram for an always-on content stream and community engagement ideas. The agency are a great team, but I'm starting to feel like a negative Nelly as I keep rejecting posts they suggest in monthly content plans, as we have to be so very careful of all the comms that go out onto our channels. We can't really join social media trends or awareness days like International Donut Day without being responsible about people's health and sugar intake. It can be a bit of a minefield. I feel a bit like we're going around in circles and I end up spending more time editing the content plan suggestions to the point where I wonder whether it would better to bring this back in-house, which defeats the object of hiring them in the first place. Look forward to hearing your social advice, Ron. Ron, I know how really hard this can be, especially in public sector. You're probably dealing with headcount freezes and trying to do five jobs in one. 
If it's really feeling that you'd rather have someone in-house due to a compliance or tone of voice issue, maybe consider a freelancer. They tend to be more flexible in terms of even working from your office from time to time, and that way they can really understand the culture of your environment and learn from your wider team as to who the key stakeholders are in your strategy. If you are tied into a contract or keen to shift the services from your existing agency, be honest. Tell them that rather than complete the original content, maybe you want to focus on resharing and disseminating what already exists. Sorry that you're not going to be their most wacky, fun client on social media, but everyone is always going to be asking questions about bins, unfortunately. You can signpost the agency to government toolkits you receive with those pre-existing assets and suggest the captions from the nationwide campaigns. Alert them to community groups and trusted local services that they could be resharing posts from and essentially make your page as a hub for that local community, sharing the voices of others rather than them feeling like they have that pressure to create the conversation themselves. You can then get them to spend that extra time that they used on creating original content to focus on the analytics and the efficiencies of that community management. If you don't want to reduce the hours they're working or the budget that you're spending that is, so if you'd rather save the money, you obviously get some time back. Start to ask them what content pillars work best and on what channels. Where should you be spending your time? And what are people saying about the services that we need to be aware of? By shifting the focus to the results, this might also create a good business case for you to ask for a social media specialist in-house or broaden your team to allow you to work more on the social media yourself. So Ron, I hope these pointers help you to elect a more efficient working relationship with your agency. Until next time, listeners, stay strong and stay social. And now back to the interview. I'm glad that there were some silver linings. And it is great to hear that you're in such lockstep with the other departments, because I do think it makes so much sense, but often isn't actualized in that way. Whereas I feel like social media does often have the pulse of, you know, what the company's talking about and also what your customers are saying. But like to be so in lockstep, I think can only be a benefit. And I absolutely agree with you that people should listen to what customers are saying. I think that would be a good practice no matter what industry you're in, really. But moving away from the pandemic for a second, the UK celebrated Pride back in July. And it was a special year for the event as it commemorated 50 years since the first parade took part in this country. I saw that ATG, like many other businesses, took part in spotlighting your support of this movement. So I was wondering if you could talk me through how you were able to engage with the event across all of your social channels. Yeah, of course. We're you know very fortunate to have a great pride network within the organization. So the brilliant work that they're doing throughout the year, but it's especially obviously visible and prominent during Pride Month. So we got together with them and the creative learning team. So creative learning effectively helps bring people into the theater through education and, you know, things like tours and stuff like that. So very, really important part of our business. But they and the Pride Network had developed some, they were developing some content and some pieces that they wanted to do around Pride. So bringing to life stories of queer joy effectively. So how can we talk to our staff and make them feel comfortable to to share their stories? And yeah, it was a, it was a lovely month getting not only to talk to people myself and get their stories and capture some images and share it and see it as a piece where it could be a scene as I know a lot of people say, you know, they just change their logos for the month and then they change back and 
we want to continue to tell these stories uh, on an ongoing basis. It's not just a pop it on LinkedIn and it's a business thing and showing that we have LGBTQI plus employees sharing on Facebook, sharing on Instagram, sharing on Twitter, on our venue channels and on our ATG channels and consumers as well. And we support these people and they're, they're fantastic and they bring, you know, so much creativity and energy and, and are such an important part of our company. And I love being able to share that kind of the stories directly from our staff and our people. And then just inspiring the venues and, you know, telling them Pride is coming up and we absolutely want you to, you know, get involved in any way you see fit. We also want to make it a place where our venues celebrate some stuff that they're doing that they're really proud of. And sometimes it might make other venues want to do it and be inspired. It might make them competitive and say, Oh, that venue's done that and it's done really well. I think we should do it. Pride and moments like that throughout the year are great opportunities to pop a team's chat on of some stuff that we're doing or applaud something that they've done. They've all got younger, creative people within their building who do embrace channels like TikTok. They are really good at reels and stuff like that. And Pride was just a great example of them bringing to life the events that they were having in their theater or Pride events in their community that they were taking part of. I was kind of wondering, you've spoken a couple of times about inspiring the venues to be creating their own content. You have mentioned TikTok and reels. It feels like this would be quite a nice fit for you, but I'm interested. How does video fit in with what you're doing on social? Video, especially in that kind of venue engagement piece that I want the venue to capture themselves and their stories and what's going on in that building and around. We do get an abundance of content from producers. Every single producer will have video content, photos, posters, production shots. It's great stuff. It's stuff that will help sell tickets. But yeah, when it gets to the venue kind of trying to tell a story about themselves, I think video and especially fun little 15 to 30 second videos where they might still be selling a show. There's so many talented people in these venues as well. They can sing, they can do these things. So it is that video content where, yeah, it's selling the show, but it's them showing off their personality and the kind of creativity in that building through video. Or it's, you know, in Wimbledon, they've got a cute dog and it runs around the marketing office. You know, they've captured some lovely video content through that. So yeah, video plays a really key role, I think. And that's obviously something where we're talking about best practice, working with the producers and working with the venues to go, you know, if we had a reel of this poster, it might perform far better for us in paid social. Or, you know, your trailer for your new show is fantastic, but it's two and a half minutes long and, you know, no one's going to watch it. So can you give us a 15 second piece that we can push across Instagram stories, for example? I think there's a lot of good stuff out there for sure. A lot of great producers, a lot of great venues, but it is still, you know, we have to keep kind of keep thinking about it. People are so time poor on social media, you know, whizzing past in the newsfeed or skipping in the stories that we have to stand out. And a lot of the time you'll stand out with that video as opposed to, yeah, your poster that maybe someone's already seen. You know, how can we go deeper? There is some shows and some tours where you just whack up the poster and people lose their minds. But that's because (laughs) it's an iconic show, for example. You know, you put up the image of the Lion King poster and say it's coming to Manchester and that's all you need sometimes. It's just it's an overwhelming response because people are so excited to see some of those iconic shows. But it's the mix. We want to make sure whatever channel we're on or whatever audience we're trying to reach, you know, we have the right assets in order to connect with them. And video is a massive, massive part of that. Yeah, that's so interesting. I hadn't even considered that, you know, obviously if you do have a show that people 
it's kind of tried and true. Like The Lion King, everyone's going to jump to buy the tickets, but you need to make sure that the new shows that maybe don't have that reputational heft of appeal, they sell out as well. Wow, so fun though. I really am envious. It must just be so fun working with all of these different shows and different venues. Thank you for that. Our final question that we're asking all of our guests on the podcast is, if ATG had to delete all of the accounts that it follows on Twitter, leaving only one behind, who would it be and why? Yeah, I did listen to an episode and then I thought if I do get asked this, it's quite a challenge. So you have lots of stakeholders, but it's a lot of the times it's it's the shows themselves and it's the people who make the shows are, are super, super important. And one man who has always been supportive of theatre, has always been supportive of important wider issues and is just an absolute icon and legend is Ian McKellen. He's done some amazing shows, not just in our venues, but obviously venues across the country. He also, when I was a student in Edinburgh, I went to a Fringe show and then he was collecting outside with buckets and I gave him five pounds and he kissed me on the cheek. So I I think he's (laughs) an amazing guy. He's very kind, very supportive. Yeah, such an amazing kind of supporter of of the arts and theatre. Yeah, that's such a good answer. I'm so jealous that he gave you a kiss on the cheek. So cool that you've met him. I think as well, one thing that you didn't mention there about him is that he's also great crack. Like he's really funny and like really mischievous. Anytime I see him, you know, in something, like he's a fantastic actor. As you say, he's a great patron for the arts and like protecting the value of theatre. Well, I love him too. And I've really loved this conversation. So thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been so interesting and I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. No, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Social Creatures with me, Kat Anderson. Many thanks to Chris of ATG for joining me today and to Sprout Social for making this podcast possible. Make sure you catch the rest of the series by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform where you can tune into a new episode every two weeks. You can continue the conversation around today's episode by getting in touch on our social media at Sprout Social or by sending your social media quandaries to our agony aunt Stacey by emailing soundadvice at spritesocial.com. Thanks for listening and catch you in two weeks.